I was seeing a family every week to do some Bible studies together. I was just visiting them in their home and leading in Bible study. Okay. And one day I was just really struggling and I knew I couldn't cancel because what would I say? So I showed up at their house and they asked what was wrong. They could tell that there was something wrong. I just said, I'm really struggling today. And I don't know what made me say it, but I said, I've got depression and today is just a bad day. And they looked at me and they said, oh, we didn't know you had that. Yeah, we understand. And every single member of that family also had been diagnosed with depression. Wow. And they were able to encourage me instead of the other way around. And it made me realize as I started sharing and opening up just a little bit more, just how many people struggle. That is Luca Taliano, and I'm your host, Dr. Ben Coles. The WellMind welcomes Luke to the podcast in this episode. He's a pastor, writer, husband, and father. He also lives with the burden of depression. The National Institute of Mental Health reports depression as one of the most common mental health issues in the U.S. As a clinical counselor for over 13 years, I can certainly attest that depression issues are incredibly common. An estimated 17.3 million Americans were experiencing a major depressive disorder prior to the pandemic. Emerging research now indicates this number is significantly higher. Some of the reports that I've read are indicating mental health issues are two and three times the pre-pandemic rate. Today, Luke shares about the fear that consumed him and held him back from facing the darkness we call depression. He describes a path that he walked to be real and honest with people that has now become what Luke refers to as his mission to be transparent. Luke lives out this mission throughout the episode and offers a rich well of thought-provoking insights and stories of his experiences. He emphasizes how deep connections are often born out of a willingness to be vulnerable. Luke offers hope and encouragement through his words and stories. I hope that you enjoy today's episode of The Well Mind, my mission to be transparent with Luke Italiano. Well, thank you so much, uh, Pastor Luke, for coming on uh, the Well Mind podcast. Uh, this has been a really fun process for me, getting to uh, visit with some people that I know really well, um, but also as a means for me to connect with and, and get to know people that I want to get to know. Um, and, and you're definitely in that second category. Other than our 20-minute conversation last week, um, you, you and I don't know each other at all, right? It's true. Yep, yep. But I, and I said in that conversation, I feel like I know you a little bit because I have been um, a, a reader, a, a consumer of the content that you have been creating for uh, a website called Bread for Beggars. Um, and so I hope that we can talk a little bit about that today. Um, but before we get kind of too far down the road, um, what? Would you be able to just do a brief introduction uh, of yourself to the audience so that we can get to know you a little bit better? Absolutely. Um, so I'm Pastor Luca Taliano, and I'm currently serving at Amazing Grace Lutheran Church in Florence, Kentucky. 
if you look at a map of Kentucky and there's part that goes north, I'm right at the very tip of Kentucky. Uh, I've been here about three and a half years. Before that, I served in Kenosha. Uh, And uh, I've done a little bit of everything. Uh, I worked in group homes. I did in-home skill skill training for autistic children. I worked in a pig farm. I did... uh, I built custom windows. I repaired small motors. Um, so I've done a little bit of everything yeah. except food service. Okay. Never no, been in food service. Not done that. Unless not, you come to Pig Farm. Yeah. <laughs> That's a different <laughs> end of the food service chain, perhaps. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, I've got a wife, and we've got four children. Our oldest is 13. Our youngest is two. Two. Okay. Which makes for very boisterous mornings. Sure. Sure, absolutely, and I I get that. My my oldest uh, is fifteen, um, and my youngest uh, is a second grader. So we we have a, a broad range in there as well. Super cool, and I, I I could say maybe you have been in food service if you've been working in the church for a while, because that that inevitably is a big part of fellowship activities is uh, feeding people, serving food. Lutherans eat. It's yeah, true. Yeah. I know we're not unique in that, but. <laughs> no, no, but we do it well. All right. Um, so why don't we start just because because that bread for beggars piece is kind of the connecting point for you and I. Um, I, I use that website and some of the devotions and the blogs um, for a number of different things. One, for personal use for me. Two, I've, I've definitely used some things uh, from there for family devotions. Um, I supervise a, gl- a group of clinicians every week, and we start our meeting with a, a prayer and devotion, and oftentimes I'm pulling resources from Bre- Bread for Beggars for that. And then I refer clients to uh, information on Bread for Beggars, specifically a series that you wrote last year. I think it was in 2019. Maybe it started in 2018, and I, I can't remember the timing at, at least, but I'll, I'll put a link to all of this information in our show notes. But I've given that to clients because I think you, um, again, were very clear about your experiences with mental health and how that impacts people, how that impacts our spiritual life. And I think it's just been a a wonderful resource for clients to tap into in between appointments. And uh, so I've definitely used that information for that as well. So talk to me a little bit about your background with Bread for Beggars. Maybe you can kind of explain kind of what their mission is, kind of what they're doing, and and how you're a part of that. Absolutely. Uh, Bread for Beggars has been going on for years now. Uh, Pastor Mark Parsons, who I went to school with, um, had this idea of gathering Christians that were involved, and particularly in the arts, in sight, story, and song. Let's see. Um, Mark, if you're listening to this, you can correct me if I got that order wrong. Uh, And he knew that I was a storyteller. Um, I learned by story. Um, I'm one of those weird pastors that uh, I would rather read uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke than John, because John has a lot more teaching, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke have a lot more of the the accounts of Jesus doing stuff. Mm -hmm. And, um, And he just knew that about me. And he asked years ago, um, 
for me to be involved with Bread for Beggars, I think the first thing he asked me to do was to write about science fiction, because I'm also a bit of a geek. Uh, and then that sort of morphed over time, and uh, uh, I ended up writing uh, and just telling Bible stories. You know, this is what happened, and telling it as a story form. Uh, as time went on, uh, Bread for Beggars has morphed several times and has provided all sorts of different stuff. And I asked Mark if I could do a depression series, and he was all for it. Uh, I, my original intention was to write for a month, maybe two, and I think it turned into an eight-month thing that I wrote every week yeah. about different aspects yes. of depression. Um, but yeah, Bread for Beggars is a fantastic thing, and um, everyone who writes there has a little niche. Um, I know just last week, uh, depending on when this goes live, you'll, it, maybe a few extra will be up, but uh, one of my friends, uh, Pastor Mike Zarling, is now writing a series on The Mandalorian and how that illustrates stuff from Christianity. So all sorts of different aspects. Mm-hmm. And right now I'm doing a series on King David because, well, actually I backed up and now we're on King Saul before King David. Mm-hmm. But just telling the story, this is what happened. Yep. Yeah, that uh, that one's the Path of Broken Kings, correct? Yep. 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 You got so, it. And I, yeah, I've been using that as a, a devotional within our within our supervision group since that uh, went live. So I appreciate the weekly um, kind of updates of that because that matches really well with being able to to dig in that into that every single week. So means I should probably write tomorrow's, huh? <laughs> Probably. I need that. I need it for Wednesday. Okay. I'll get to it. Okay. All right. Well, um, so some of the writing that you've done has been uh, because it's a, it's a niche kind of passion area for you. Like you said, science fiction, kind of enjoying uh, that genre. Um, and so it makes sense. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to connect with that. But then a, kind of another uh, area of content for you is also mental health and specifically depression, like you referenced, and um, and that's that's a more connected with personal experiences, correct? Very much so. Yeah. So how um, did how have you decided to kind of share that part of you? Um, you know, it's it's one thing to share our passions, but it's another thing to uh, share share our challenges, right? So kind yes. of let's let's dive into that a little bit and and kind of walk me through your your thought process. Well, for for when it comes to that transparency and just talking about it, I, I think a large part of it came not long after I was diagnosed with depression. So uh, I'm guessing you know, and maybe the the listeners know, when you have depression, you often struggle with it long before you're diagnosed. It's not like uh, someone takes a look at you and says, oh, you have depression. You go, oh, I never thought of that before. And yeah, it, it, it's often something that's struggled with, even if you don't have a word for it, even if you don't understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was going through a very difficult time of ministry. It was just one of those seasons that hits no matter where you're at, uh, no matter who you are. You know, we all have difficult seasons. And I was really struggling. And one day I just couldn't get out of bed. Uh, it was one of those days that uh, there was plenty to do. I had to get up, and I and I felt guilty that I wasn't getting up, and I just physically could not get myself out of bed. 
And that finally convinced me, okay, I need help. I need to talk to someone about it. And frankly, I was really scared uh, because there is this stigma around mental health. I was afraid that if I shared that I was having issues with other pastors, they would tell me I had to get out of the ministry. I was afraid if I shared with my congregation that it would be used as ammunition against me or my family. Um, And even if other pastors were welcoming, maybe I'd never be able to serve somewhere. Um, I was eventually diagnosed with clinical depression, and I got help. Uh, I was seeing another pastor who had a degree in counseling as well, um, who helped immensely, gave me a lot of good tools for for my particular brand of depression. Sure. Um, But one day, um, where I was before, where I was, I was seeing a family every week to do some Bible studies together. I was just visiting them in their home and leading in Bible study. Okay. And one day I was just really struggling and I knew I couldn't cancel because what would I say? So I showed up at their house and they asked what was wrong. They could tell that there was something wrong. I just said, I'm really struggling today. And I don't know what made me say it, but I said, I've got depression and today is just a bad day. And they looked at me and they said, oh, we didn't know you had that. Yeah, we understand. And every single member of that family also had been diagnosed with depression. Mm, wow. And they were able to encourage me instead of the other way around. Yeah. And it made me realize as I started sharing and opening up just a little bit more, just how many people struggle, and if not with a name depression, just knowing that they're called workers aren't perfect. And most pastors, I would hope, uh, are, are open with that. You know, I'm not perfect. I need Jesus just as much as anyone else. But when there's something specific that, that we can say, no, I, I need him because of this, because of my depression, I know that I'm broken and I desperately need, I, I need God to rescue me. And, and when there's that connection there, then they're willing to look at their own lives and say, look, I, I'm broken too. I share this and that opening up and that transparency leads to real encouragement instead of, Hey, how you doing? I'm good. Yeah, fine. But actually being able to encourage each other where we need that encouragement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it was really born out of a relationship, right? I mean, you, you had been serving this family in a very personal way, uh, coming into their home, uh, spending that time with them. And so they were getting to know you as well. And so then that day, they, they didn't have a name for it, but they could perceive, oh, pa- pastor's different today. Some, something's going on. And they, they moved toward that by asking you what was up, right? They didn't like yeah. shy away from it because that can often happen too. We can perceive something's going on with somebody and think, oh, I'm, I'm just not going to go there today with it, you know? Um, yep. Uh, but, but they had that compassion to reach out to you. And then you had the capacity at that point to, to be vulnerable and be honest with them. How, how did you, do you remember, that, that seems like such a clear moment. Do you remember like what that was like to just verbalize that to that family? I can picture, we're sitting around the table in the kitchen and it, uh, there were four members of that family, uh, all adults, that um, they didn't necessarily live together, but we all gathered in the one house. Yeah. And I'm trying to remember. 
because I remember them sitting back and just going, oh. And it wasn't a, I'm disappointed in you. It's a, oh, we understand and just a welcoming. Yeah, like a, um, it was a revelation for them. Like, oh, that, that makes sense. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. And we just sat there together for a while. I don't remember even talking for a little bit mm-hmm. and just being in each other's presence. Um, mm-hmm. Frankly, that's been one of the hardest parts of COVID for me uh, with the pandemic is so often one of the greatest comforts you can give a person is just to be to be present, to be there with them. And it is very difficult to do that on the phone or digitally. You can do it, but it is not the same. Um, And so I've taken to when, when I'm typing online, I'll type hug at people Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, because look, I'm here, I'm with you. Uh, And that was, that was huge because again, it was, it was not judgmental. It was not, um, Oh, I don't know if you can serve us. It was, we know what it's like. Mm-hmm. We're here with you. Mm-hmm. And that meant the world. Yeah. Yeah. So this, this, um, this experience with this family, then, uh, it changed something for you in terms of your pers- perspective. You, you have been working on kind of naming depression and recovering from it and, and kind of struggling with that challenge personally. And, uh, and, I don't know, perhaps you had shared that with some of your family members or like really close friends, but, but this was different. This was somebody that you were serving and you had kind of made a decision up until that point. I can't share this. I, I don't want people to know about it. And in that moment, yep. um, you made that decision. You had this experience of being accepted, uh, being validated and understood. So then where did you go with it from there? I don't remember if I told uh, the other pastors in our circuit, in our, in our gathering of pastors before that. Um, I was very scared. Now, the funny thing is that that gathering of pastors, we were really close. Um, I, I know that varies per group of pastors, but I, I still count many of them as good friends. Mm-hmm. And when I shared with them, it was, I, I laugh at it now. But they said, oh, you're really brave to admit that. I'm not brave. I need help. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of the opposite. That that was my response. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The opposite kind of reaction that you were thinking. And none of them looked down on me, for which Mm -hmm. I really appreciate. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't remember if it was before or after that, but around that time, I remember calling up one of the guys and saying, hey, I just need to grab a beer with someone and just talk. Mm -hmm. Can, Can we do that? And he had been very kind and good enough to set aside some time and say, yep, uh, I can't do it right now. Can we go tonight? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I got a lot of support there. Um, and what started happening after that family, little by little, I started sharing with people on an individual basis. It was never announced to church. Um, I was still frightened there. Uh, again, because uh, when you're in ministry, and I I think this is true no matter where you're at, but if you're in a position of authority because of our sinful natures, people will try to twist and so on, and that's just what happens. Um, But when I knew that someone else was struggling with depression, when someone else was struggling, I would share and say, yeah, I I get it. I I, I don't feel the same way you do because we're all different in how we experience it. 
but I know what it is to struggle. Uh, and that would often open up the door to be able to say, can I share what's helped me and see if maybe it'll help you? Sure. Uh, so then it was more and, strategic. It wasn't like this um, kind of cascade of, well, I'm just going to tell everybody right now and kind of announce this. But but with purpose and intent, as you're sitting with people, as you're working alongside people, those are pieces that you would be able to then give yourself permission to share with them. Yes. Yep. And try to use it in an encouraging way. Um mm-hmm. I'm really hoping it, it never came across. I, I never intended for it to be a competition thing. So I know that can happen sometimes. Oh, you've got depression. Well, I've got it worse. That, that, that was never my intent. Mm, so I really okay. hope it never came across that yeah, way. Yeah. Uh, but as an encouragement that you are not alone in the struggle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and try to use it the way that family encouraged me. By just, yep, we're there. We, we understand. Yeah. Uh, and then that morphed again. Uh, I came to my new call here in Kentucky and uh, almost right away I was assigned a paper for a pastor conference. And I don't even remember exactly how it happened, but I was asked to write on depression. I don't know if they knew. I don't remember if I'd shared that previously. I may have. I just, I don't remember. But I ended up writing a paper for a pastoral conference on pastoral depression, on specifically on being a pastor with depression. And um, I don't write things short too often. Um, I got some complaints cause the paper was something like 50 pages long oh. and these guys are used to like 10 page papers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this, this was quite the thesis. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, that paper then became the basis. Actually, I took that paper and then I went to Mark Parsons, pastor Parsons at bread for beggars and said, this could be used. Um, not every single part, um, there are certain parts that really only apply to pastors, but a lot of this can apply to anyone. Mm-hmm. Can I reformat this into blog posts? And so the bulk of the blog posts are actually reformatted from that paper and applied to a wider audience. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, it makes and sense then people... that it turned out to be eight months long. <laughs> if, if you're starting <laughs> from a, a 50 page template. <laughs> Yeah, blog posts tend to be a little bit shorter than 50 pages yeah, long. Yeah, qu- much more brief, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, um. And then once I'd written that paper, I printed out and gave copies to my counsel, and I said, this is not a signed reading, but if you would like to, here it is. Mm-hmm. And so my counsel had the opportunity, and a number of them did read it. And... <laughs> A few of them returned the papers and said, this was really interesting, Pastor, and that was the last I heard of it. Oh, really? Okay. Um, a few of them have made a point of approaching me and saying, if you are struggling, you can come to me and talk, mm-hmm. which has also been really encouraging. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am in a better place now mentally um, that I've not needed to use them for that, but I'm really appreciative that that's there. That the door is open. Yes. Yeah. And I've used uh, the the men that approach me that way. I have frankly just gotten closer to mm-hmm. uh, where it's not, oh, I'm depressed when I talk to you, but oh, we're going to go out and, and do something together. We're, we're going to grab a bite to eat or something. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I, I, then, I, I get what you're saying ahead. in that, um, <clears throat> like the expressed, um, you know, experience of depression 
that's not the foundation of the relationship. The, the foundation, you know, be, being brothers in the faith, working alongside one another, caring for one another, but being able to share in an in a honest and vulnerable way what a challenge might be deepens the relationship. And when it's met with a level of uh, empathy, understanding, uh, compassion, again, that brings the relationship to another deeper level. And so it makes sense that you're saying, well, these are the guys that I'm forming these lasting connections with at all different points in your ministry, whether that's where you're serving now or or previously, because that that honesty and vulnerability has has deepened and, and strengthened the relationship because it's been met with an understanding and compassion for one another's humanness. And it, it reminds me, I don't know where I read this quote first. So I'm stealing this from somewhere else. I have no clue where. Maybe you know. Okay. Um, but our, our greatest fear is to be known and rejected. And that's mm-hmm. why we so often hide who we are. Mm-hmm. But the greatest joy is to be known and accepted. Mm-hmm. And that's what we have in Jesus. And that's what we have in the best of friends. Yep. Yeah. So this kind of circling back to a word that you've used at least once or twice today um, is this word transparency. Could you yes. speak to that? What what does that mean to you? Um, for me, uh, what that means is I'm not putting on a mask. That it, it's not necessarily that I'm out of control. It's not that my emotions control me, that I'm a slave to them, but that I'm honest with, this is what, this is where I'm at right now. Um, I'm not going to hopefully let the depression control me, for instance. But when I've got a bad day, I'll say, this is a bad day and I'm struggling. Um, and, and be willing to share that. Um, if I'm struggling with something else, um, not just depression, mm-hmm. um, but I'm willing to be known again, not letting, not, not being a slave to those things, but saying, this is where I'm at right now. To be able to acknowledge them it, like in yes. a verbal outward way. Often in a verbal way. Yeah. 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 My wife, especially my wife, she'll be able to look at me and just say, she knows ahead of me if I'm having a bad day. She, mm-hmm. She's awesome. I've been very, very blessed with her. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And so this this concept of a mission to be transparent, um, you, you'd use that phrase when we were visiting about the podcast, and that really struck me because it's not that that's not a common phrase. I mean, people often talk about like their mission or their purpose, you know, the, and that's really driven by by their values and their faith. Um, and so this this mission to be transparent seems to be wrapped up a lot in what you value and, and what your purpose is. Could, could you speak to that? Now you're making me think because clearly I wasn't thinking before. I don't know what's up with that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have found for me that when I am transparent, people are more open to hearing about Jesus. Um, you know, I'm not using him like a, a pill where I can say, here, take two Jesus and call me in the morning. But I can say, look, this is, I struggle. 
And I, I'm not saying, I'm not talking to Jesus because I know so much more than you. I'm saying because I know I struggle and I see you struggle. And this is a way that, that we can be broken together and be healed together by Jesus. Um, it's one of the things uh, that I found a lot of comfort in. Uh, one of the things that has been louder in recent years, at least in my understanding, is talking about the theology of the cross, that God is often revealed in suffering. And uh, in my transparency, my first Thanksgiving here in Kentucky, I preached on being thankful for depression. And it was the first time I had announced to the congregation that, yes, I have depression. And it was a memorable experience. Yeah. Uh, and saying I'm thankful because when I'm broken, I realize how much I need Jesus and that he is there for me. If I didn't have that depression, maybe I could fake myself out and saying, yeah, I've, I've got my life pretty together. I, I'm pretty good. Um, it reminds me of, uh, and I'm not the pastor that came up with this, so I don't take any credit for this. But um, Paul in Second Corinthians 12 uh, says that he's got a thorn in the flesh, and he begged God to take that away from him. And God responded, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul, you know, this guy who wrote half the New Testament says, so I'm going to boast about my weakness. He was not afraid to be transparent. Mm -hmm. He was not afraid to say, I struggle. And that's a good thing. And so I kind of take my lead from him there. Yeah, yeah. And that's a, that's a, a recurrent theme, I think, in Paul's writings that... I hear him expressing vulnerability and gratitude, like sandwiched together, right? You know, weakness, challenge, struggle, um, that thorn in the f in the flesh. But then, you know, thankful for uh, the the grace and mercy he has through Christ, and also for the fellowship that he has with his brothers and sisters in the faith too. Yep. Yeah, yep. so so it's one of the things I always return to. He always opens up with Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So interesting choice, like you said, that first Thanksgiving being at at your new church in Kentucky, and then sharing about being thankful for depression. Right. You said it was memorable, huh? Memorable how? Um. I don't remember if there were many responses that day. Um, here we always have a potluck after Thanksgiving. This year is going to be really difficult since mm -hmm. that's not likely to happen right, this yeah. year. Um, and so, frankly, a lot of people were focused on the food. Um, we were blessed that we've got a lot of people here that smoke their own meat, and they'll bring their smokers to church. And so throughout church at worship, you smell the meat smoking, and it can be really hard to concentrate on God's Word. I was going to say, that's a little distracting. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is a wonderful blessing when we go down to eat, though. Oh, man. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, that same year, I guest preached. So we actually don't have a Thanksgiving Day service. We always celebrate the Sunday before. Okay. And then I got to guest preach at another congregation on Thanksgiving Day, and I just used the same sermon. Mm. And at that congregation, I think maybe people felt a little safer talking to me because they don't have to deal with me every week. Oh, you know, yeah. that, that, that vulnerability wasn't threatening. 
and there also wasn't a meal immediately afterwards, at least not at the church, so mm-hmm. there wasn't the distraction. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. My people here are awesome. Um, I, please don't think I'm talking down to them at all, because... Um, no, I don't get that impression. Yeah, I don't get that impression um, at all. But I do think in this case, by being a guest preacher, people felt more empowered to come up and, you know, if they're sharing something with me, they're not breaking anything. They're not risking nearly as much. Mm-hmm. And I got a lot of responses saying, whoa, I never thought about this. I, I'm going to have to really think about this more, about being thankful for, for mental illness, for depression, for anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, never approached it that way before. Wow. Yeah. So a, a total um, kind of shift in their perspective or viewpoint. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You've you've also used the word brokenness, and I think that's very very ap- applicable to what what we deal with on an emotional or a psychological level, um, even within relationships. Brokenness impacts how we uh, treat one another and how we allow ourselves to be treated. Um, so so when you think about brokenness, and when you're approaching somebody, you're talking to somebody about. That, that idea of brokenness, how are you, first of all, what's your starting point? How are you explaining this idea of brokenness? Well, I, I talk about it a lot in sermons and use that to try and connect with people and just, you know, this, this, is, this is real. I have found when I use that language, usually the person I'm talking to already recognizes that at some level. Um, this isn't something I bring up like we're, we're watching uh, we're watching the game and the Packers happen to be losing. I say, oh, man, don't you just hate the brokenness of this world? Mm. Um, I don't usually use that language in that okay. kind of setting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but especially when I'm talking one-on-one with someone and they bring up something that they might not use that word, but that's what it is. It, it's uh, often a broken relationship or a broken uh, functionality in their own life. Um, they're recognizing, you know, something isn't correct because I keep on yelling at my kids or I keep on turning to this drug and it's, I, I, I don't understand. And that's often will bring up the brokenness that th- there's something broken within us. It is sinful. It is wrong, but it also shows that we're broken and we need to be healed and we cannot heal ourselves. Mm. Um, and so I'll, I'll use that word a lot um, in one to one. Sure, sure. You know your your background as we were kind of going over your history a little bit in introduction. You know, you said you said you did some like small engine repair or something something along those lines. Is yep. That, is that what that was? Yeah. Yep. I worked for the firm that made the all the motors that open up the doors for all the WalMarts. Oh, okay. And anytime one of those would break down, it would be sent to my department and then we would repair. Yeah. Yeah. So how is that similar or different? (laughs) Because you get a part in the mail and you have to diagnose, okay, what's the issue here? What's not working? What's the brokenness in this mechanism? And then you come up with a solution probably a replacement part of some sort or, or, or changing something out. Right. And so then it's fixed and then you can send it back and then it's functioning. Right. 
And so yep. then when people think about, well, me being broken or this relationship being broken, I think logically we think, well, what's the fix? How can I fix this? But you just said, we can't do that. We can't heal ourselves. So, so then yeah, where, where's, uh, the, where's the solution if, if we're not able to find that fix? Well, often what happens is um, our sinful natures will often make things worse. It is not sinful to have depression. That is simply a symptom of this, of this broken world. Um, it is not sinful to have a mental illness. It is a result of just living in a broken world, uh, like having a broken bone. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's not sinful to have a broken bone. No. Nope. Uh, but often what happens is with our coping and trying to fix ourselves, we can end up sinning. Um, I might try to self-medicate my depression with drinking. Um, I'm very thankful that that's not something I ever did. However, um, especially long before I ever knew it was depression, um, I self-medicated with cutting. Uh, I harmed my own body, and that's not good. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a sin against the uh, the fifth commandment, you shall not murder. Uh, God's given a, a wonderful gift in our bodies, and it's, it was wrong for me to harm it. There was something in me that was broken, and I could not fix myself. I was trying, I was trying to fix myself, um, and... It was not right. Um, yeah. I was making things worse. And that that's exactly the point, right? Is that because we have this mentality of something's not right, something's broken, I need to fix it. So then I'm, I'm searching and I'm looking for all of these different solutions or cures. Um, and, and that, that doesn't always turn out very well, right? Is, is what you're saying. <laughs> we're, we're going. Yes. We're going down some paths that are not going to um, contribute to our wellness. They might yeah. alter our state in the moment, like you were like you were talking about with like a substance um, or some diff- some behavior that we can do. It might change the feeling state in that moment, but it's also creating a whole new set of kind of challenges that I'm faced with. Yeah. Yeah. In my case, um, with, with the cutting, obviously I was harming my own body, but it also increased shame. It made it that I I had to hide, which is also a big part of depression. That shame, um, just huge. And so what I needed was someone to replace a part in me, I guess you could call it. Mm. Um, the, the Bible talks about how, um, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And that was really a banner verse for me for a long time, that I am not what I was. Um, and in uh, after I was diagnosed with depression, I was getting that counseling. That was one of the big things, was remember who you are. You are not who you were. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus has taken all your sins to the cross. He knows your shame, and he still loves you. He knows all the stuff you want to hide, and he still chose to die for you. And he's not ashamed of you. He didn't do it to give you more guilt. He did it to take your guilt away. Mm-hmm. And and that identifying that, this may sound weird, but that I have been repaired, that Jesus has chosen to love me and has created me new. Um, I still have symptoms of this broken world. I have not defeated depression. I still have bad days, 
but I am loved anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and that the lies my depression tells are just that, they're lies. Um, that's huge. Mm-hmm. But I needed that to come from outside myself until I got to the point that now I have been given those tools. When I have the bad day, I can be reminded. Yeah. That was some phrasing that I picked up on right away and, and really appreciated this, um, this idea of how depression lies to us. And, and so it's really like this kind of foreign entity. Oftentimes we, because depression is a, um, an internal process, we end up identifying with it. Like we, we even say like, I'm depressed, right? And so there's this ownership that we take to, to that really internalizes that. But to be able to say, my depression lies to me, is it's it's a you're you're changing the perspective, right? You're moving from one chair to a different chair in the room to try and look at it differently, and there's there's a tremendous amount of power in that as well, because then you can you're more receptive to feedback from other sources. You're not just tuned into the voice of depression, but that that distance of being able to recognize, oh, my depression lies to me, also said, well, then I can listen to other kind of sources as well and scripture being the primary one for you and hearing um christ's love for you was a a real pivotal point in that process of healing and recovery you're making me sound a lot smarter than i am thank you (laughs) (laughs) no yes but there's so much power in that and that's that is absolutely one of the things that that has stood out to me in your writing um, is this kind of externalizing of some of these problems that we we are not our problems we are not defined by them that isn't our identity we are afflicted by them um, and and that's persistent throughout this lifetime but it isn't our identity yes yeah yes so and that's something that I, I'm I'm guessing you've done this as well but who are you? Uh, this is one of the big things that I, I deal when I'm doing counseling. Mm-hmm. You are not what other people say you are. Those may be aspects of you, mm-hmm. but what you are is you are a daughter of the king. You are a son of the king, and he loves you and he delights in you. Mm-hmm. Um, that is who you are. And sometimes I'll even just text people that I know have been struggling. Hey, remember today you're a daughter of the king. You're a son of the king. Mm-hmm. And that is huge. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a shift in again in our perspective or what we're focused on. Shifting gears a little bit. You, you know, we we've been talking now a little bit about identity and not just uh w- what you are or what you're afflicted by or being defined by um other people's opinions. Um but really grounding yourself in a a faith-based view of yourself, right? Recognizing daughter of the king, son of the king. These are are parts of our identity. And part of our identity is that we're broken, and it's being able to accept that, like recognize it, not put a mask on, not um, pretend that that's not there, or that's something from the past, right? Like I used to be depressed, 
and now I don't have to think about that or deal with it anymore, right? So, so both of these things are kind of running parallel to each other, our brokenness and, um, and our, I guess, holiness. I don't know if that's the word that you would use, but like who, who we are in, in faith, right? That these are both yeah. true at the same time. So, yeah, there's a fancy term for that in, in theology, uh, simul justus et peccator, at the same time sinner and saint. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, yeah, I am broken and yet I am still a saint. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So a lot of this, you've, you've talked about how important it is to be able to sit with people, to be present with people, um, to be able to communicate that. Sometimes it's not even verbally, right? And, uh, and you, you talked about like texting some of your members, right? Because maybe you can't be physically present with them as much as you have been in the past, kind of pre-COVID. And, and you kind yeah. of referenced earlier just that um, kind of the social isolation that people are experiencing and the distance that we're experiencing in our, in our country right now is, makes it difficult to have some of those conversations, to be present with people. And so outside of some of these nice like text messages that just start kind of flow out of who you are, um, how else have you tried to, I guess, work around the, the, the current setting that we're in that just makes this type of connecting with people in a vulnerable way more challenging? Um, well, one of the blessings of being in Kentucky is that it's a little bit warmer. Um, I grew up in North Dakota. And so I am used to trick-or-treating in a blizzard, um, and that, that doesn't happen here. Uh, so as soon as it was nights out, I just started meeting with people outside. Mm-hmm. A lot of the restaurants here had outdoor seating, and uh, I usually say, my treat, why don't we meet at the coffee shop, let's go do this. And so I've been able to do at least some in-person. Um, and, and that has helped immensely. As we are getting colder now, that's obviously going to be a lot more difficult. And I actually, I I met with a couple members of the congregation and said, what can we do about this? And what we're doing here, and I know a lot of churches already do this, but for us, it's new. Um, We're starting small groups. Um, So we're going to be getting together in groups, uh, in small groups, um, either digitally uh, using Zoom or, uh, or Facebook Messenger or, or other software that sure. we're blessed with. And if people are comfortable getting together in person, you go for it. Um, I'm not going to be a policeman showing up and saying, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so even if we can't get together as a congregation the way we used to, we can support and encourage each other. Mm-hmm. And that's something that we're just getting started. So I'm hoping that that can really help build bonds among our, our Christian family here. Because if it is just a pastor, that's kind of dangerous. Um, pastor has only so much time, um, and pastor at some point is going to leave, either through retirement or dying or taking a call to another church. Um, I, I want the congregation to have those bonds with each other. Uh, so trying to uh, uh, encourage and foster relationship growing so that people are able to be vulnerable with each other and not just pastor and not that we're going to be counseling each other, but to do that encouragement. Mm -hmm. And so that when you do need the counseling, yeah, pastor is available. I I, am definitely still here and I'm, it's not like I'm going to go hide. 
while everyone is also in small groups. Mm-hmm. But uh, but that frees um, a pastor then to invest where it's most needed. Um, so encouraging that that we are growing in relationship with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, the the texting, honestly, uh, one of the things I've done since this started is uh, trying to text every member of the congregation who texts at least every other week. I want a smaller congregation that I can do that. That obviously is not going to work everywhere. Sure. But I'm able to do that. Um, and then I, I call up anyone that I know either hates texting or can't. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're a fairly young congregation, and I think there's only three or four members that don't text. Mm-hmm. So that that is incredibly helpful for me too, because yeah, I can run much more doable. multiple text conversations yeah. at once. Yeah, and they're all important. Yeah, I, I'm not. Yeah, yes, you have my attention. Mm-hmm. While I'm waiting for your response, I can go check this one. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, so I set aside time for that every week. Well, and that's what I'm hearing too. Is that this is this has become just part of what you do. This isn't an afterthought or something that you're just kind of like trying to accomplish on the side, but you're dedicating some time to be intentional with it. And and that's a different, I think, form of digital communication because oftentimes it is much more casual or something done out of convenience. Um, but you've kind of claimed that with a purpose to say, no, this is every other week, I'm gonna make sure I'm uh, that I have a touch point with everybody in my church, right? And then I love this other piece about the small groups because I think that's that's kind of where we can start uh, in in rebuilding. Is that you know small group gatherings are going to be a lot more permissible than you know gatherings of a hundred people or something like that. Um, and those will be great when we yep. can do those again and have food and a potluck and all be together. Um, but you know, if there's six or seven or, or nine or 10 or, you know, whatever it is, that that's a very reasonable thing and gathering in people's homes yes. and, um, or yeah, when you're blessed with uh, good weather in Kentucky, um, that even, even in November, you might be able to have some things outside that, that would be okay. Yeah. Right now, uh, of course, of course, yesterday it was in the forties, but next Sunday it's supposed to be in the seventies. Yeah. So yeah. beautiful. Beautiful. Um, so as, as we're kind of transitioning here a little bit towards the end of our time, um, Pastor Luke, I, I always like to ask guests a couple of questions. Um, and the first one is about kind of your, your future projects or things that, you, that you're working toward. And these can be professional or personal things, um, but just kind of like what's on the horizon? What are you, what are you working toward right now? Uh, there's a couple of things that I'm working on right now. Um, one is, uh, as you already mentioned, the path of broken Kings. It is my intent to continue that weekly until we finish David, which means we could get to part like 342 or something. Cause David takes up a lot of the Bible. Um, so we'll see if that happens, but that's my intent. Okay. Um, another big project that's coming out, um, a couple of years ago, my goddaughter was being confirmed and she asked, um, is it okay for her to love Jesus and love Harry Potter and star Wars and doctor who she, she was a real fan girl. And, uh, a book came out of that called geeky and godly mm-hmm. that yes, you can enjoy these things and still love Jesus. And, um, 
uh, found a publisher for that who wants to put it on Kickstarter. Uh, we actually intended to put it out almost a year ago, uh, back in March when COVID first hit and we said, well, we're going to, we're going to wait. And so this coming March, March, 2021, that'll be on Kickstarter. Okay. And the idea there is that, um, if we get enough funding, we'll, we will publish this book. And what the book does, it takes a look at 10 tropes. So instead of saying, well, let's take a look at Harry Potter or let's look at Star Wars. We'll take a look at, well, what does the Bible say about aliens? What does it say about a quest? What are these things? And so trying to give tools so that the people reading aren't just prepared for Harry Potter or Star Wars, but for any kind of geeky thing that they can evaluate. And hopefully that's a good tool that, um, that it's aimed at uh, young teens, but hopefully is accessible for anyone. Absolutely, absolutely. What a what a novel uh, idea! I've I, I've never heard of approaching something like that before. So that's that's pretty that's pretty cool. Um, a bit of a quest uh, of your of your own here <laughs> that we've been talking about. Yeah. So so quests must be permissible, right? That that's got to be an okay thing. Yeah, yeah. Spoilers. The answer is yes. You can do both. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, and what about for you uh, personally? Any, any, I mean, obviously the book is a very personal endeavor, but it has a, a real professional application for you. But just in, in terms of your personal growth and things that you're working toward, mm-hmm. any, anything that you would want to share uh, in those lines? Right now, um, I struggle with giving myself permission to take mental health days. Um, and that has been a struggle for me. Uh, I always have a list of things to do. I always have a to-do list to make sure I get all the things done that have to get done. And I have learned that when I try to push through and work anyways, it ends up making things worse for me, um, that, that the depression gets worse, where if I just eased off and took a day off, it's going to end up better. Um, I'll get through it faster and, and rather than ignoring and pushing through. And so I, I don't really have a method of this other than my wife yelling at me because she's really good at that and she knows when I need it. Yeah, she, you, um, you talked about how perceptive she is. Yes, just, just an awesome blessing and I'm so thankful for her. Um, but giving myself that permission, um, and I've gotten a lot better at that, frankly, since COVID started, um, being at a smaller congregation, um, Yes, I'm still busy, but especially at the beginning when there were no in-person appointments for quite a while, uh, it eased up a lot of the tensions, at least as far as the, the demands for, for time. And so I was able to say, you know what, this is a bad day. I can take this day off. The work will still be there tomorrow, and I'm not going to be so far behind that it's disastrous. Uh, and so taking that and using that more um, is, is something that I've been... Um, struggling with and pushing for yeah, and really appreciated. Fig- yeah. Trying to figure that out. Yep. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, I think a, a lot of folks are probably trying to navigate some of that um, because self care is such a huge topic right now. I know I've been, you know, asked to, to visit with different organizations or people and it uh, inevitably the conversation comes back to some, sort of self-care activity you know like what are what are you doing what am i doing to take care of ourselves during this time and so there's a 
I think a parallel with the conversation that we've had about uh, depression, also with COVID too, because yes, there are a tremendous amount of uh, struggles and challenges that have, uh, I guess, been been percolating probably for a while, but then yeah. really exacerbated and accelerated by by COVID and and all of the um, kind of restrictions that have been you know placed. So regardless of how you might feel about them, they're going to impact us, right? But at the same yep. time, in this kind of brokenness and broken world and and people making choices that are, you know, questionable or maybe they're just trying to do that the best that they can, you know, whatever the case may be, there's still an opportunity for some grateful, you know, kind of thankfulness, some gratitude through this time as well. And um, something that I read early on during COVID referred to it as the great pause. And that mm. term has just yeah. kind of like stuck with me because it kind of forced a lot of people into saying, yeah, I've, I've got to stop or slow down. I can't, I can't do this. So, yep. or at least I can't do it in the way that I've always done it. So it's really given us an opportunity to kind of revamp how we approach and interact with um, our professional life and our personal life and, and the balance between those two. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, hopefully you'll, you'll get that figured out. Um, hopefully the rest of us <laughs> will start getting that figured out as well and how to take care of ourselves amidst, um, amidst all of this. Another question that I have uh, for guest Pastor Luke is um, aimed at resources. Um, obviously, we've, we've talked a lot about Bread for Beggars today. I'm going to put links um, in the description for the episode, kind of in the notes, uh, so that people can access that and access specifically some of the things that you've been writing, both the Path of Broken Kings that you're working on now and, and that depression series that you've done in the past. Um, and I'd love to... Cool be able to have you back on maybe in March next year when that book is on Kickstarter and we can touch base and catch up a little bit on that. That would be kind of a cool thing. Um, Sounds good to me. Thank you. Yeah. But what, what other resources, um, if people are kind of wanting to spend some more time on this topic or, or, or learn more about yeah. it, what, what direction would you point them in? There's a, a couple of excellent resources. Um, I'm going to point to another podcast that, isn't directly about depression, but I think may help. Um, Mike Westendorf has a podcast called Mike Check. I think he's only had seven episodes so far, and each of them roughly half an hour. He talks a lot about COVID, when God says no, um, and talks about identity, especially in the last two that he's had. Um, and so I, I would highly recommend checking that out if you are fueled by podcasts. Um, I'm fueled by books a lot. Um, I love reading. And uh, a couple of books that really helped me. Um, a book entitled, I Trust When Dark My Road, A Lutheran View of Depression by Todd Peppercorn. Um, pastor Peppercorn is a pastor in the Missouri Synod, and he struggles with depression and even has faced suicide um, and was suicidal on Good Friday one year, and he writes about that. Um, the book is free. If you Google it, it is available in PDF for free. Um, so uh, the, the cost should not keep anyone out. Yeah. Um, well worth your time, and it is a fast read. 
um, a couple more that were really, really good for me. Um, when darkness seems my closest friend by Mark Meinel, um, M E Y N E L L. Um, this is a guy that, um, really struggled with depression and talks about how God helped him. Um, applies Jesus really well. And if you are in a little bit more poetic mood, um, Courage, Dear Heart, Letters to a Weary World by Rebecca Reynolds. Um, this is a book written as letters to someone who is struggling. And the language is so, so very good. Um, one of the quotations that really hit me, um, the world is broken, I'm broken, and my need is dire. If that if that quote just resonates with you, that book will be really, really good for you. Um, that's courage to your heart. Neat. Um, just fantastic. Yeah. And I, I've spent uh, some time reading uh, When Dark My Road, uh, but some of these other ones are definitely new to me. I want to check them out. And uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll get access to those and uh, so that people can pretty easily find them just by clicking on some links. That's awesome. Awesome. Well, Pastor Luke, it's been uh, fantastic having uh, you know an hour of your time today to to connect. I really appreciate uh, all of your insight and wisdom, and uh, being able to be transparent today and and vulnerable and 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 talk about things in a, a real honest way. I, I'm so grateful for you for the writing that you're doing and and for your time today. Thank you, and and thank you for for sharing. Um, I am very happy that our world is starting to recognize and talk about mental health and that, that Christians are able to say, yeah, I struggle with this and not have to be afraid nearly as much as we used to. It's a good direction. So thank you for your work. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Thank you. And God's blessings. And also with you. A big thanks to Pastor Luke for being on The Well Mind, and many thanks to each of you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe through your podcast app so that you automatically get the latest episode. New episodes are released every Monday. Also, consider taking a moment to review the show if you found our discussion meaningful to you. Good old word of mouth is great too. Let people know about The Well Mind podcast and spread the word. During the show, Pastor Luke and I made reference to a few different resources and books. You can find all that information, as usual, in the show notes beneath the description of the episode in your podcast app. Many thanks to the staff here in the Bethany Lutheran College podcast studio. Greg, Seth, and Caleb are tremendous in providing technical support for the podcast. And a special thanks to Lauren McMacken for designing the logo and cover art for The Wellmind. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, be well.